0: Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. This is Abby and today on episode two, we're going to be talking about the morality of food. So I want to talk about a few different points about why there should be no moral value placed on food and how there's no way for food to hold moral value. It's not a living thing. It can't break the law. Morality is rooted in religion. And it's the scripture for people. Food is not people. It is not a, it is a living, some of it is a living being. I will give it that. But it doesn't have the ability to hold moral value. So let's jump right into it. first point I wanted to talk about was that there is a you are what you eat mentality. And when people label food as good or as bad, like that's a bad food, that's a good food, why are you eating that? Oh, you should only be eating this. What is that saying about the person consuming the food? I feel that people often don't look beyond just the food and they don't think about the people actually eating it. So if you are labeling, let's say, let's stereotypically, a brownie. You're looking at a brownie you know it has processed flowers which i'm going to tell you right now unless you are eating let's say an apple straight from the tree your food is going to be processed the manipulation of food in and of itself is the process of being processed so if you're labeling these foods as good and bad that's going to strike a message in somebody saying I'm bad morally, it's going to impact their person, it's going to make them feel less than, it's going to make them have this idea that if I'm eating, for example, a brownie, I'm a bad person morally, like I'm not a good person, I'm less than, when compared to somebody, let's say, who's eating a carrot, they may say to themselves, oh, this is a good food, so by eating it, I am what I eat, so I'm a good person. So what does that tell somebody else? What are your views, what are your views? How is that impacting others? So I know this is a controversial idea, whatever, but it's the reality of the world we live in and the spread of fat phobia and the fear of fatness and gaining weight it's a big issue and the implicit as well as explicit biases that we're showing against people in larger bodies it's rooted in the idea that fatness is equivalent to moral failing and again the only moral thing about it is somebody's beliefs it impacts them it has nothing to do with the food you're eating and this is where i want people to recognize that they have autonomy over their own body there's no writing there's no book that says that what you eat makes you a good or a bad person and there's no moral failing when connected to food food doesn't break the law food doesn't talk back food doesn't do anything other than be and what it is is food it is energy it is the tool that people need to survive and thrive in this world. So this brings me straight to my second point where I want to talk about access to resources and this point is very important to me. It hits home. I my last semester of college I worked at a substance use recovery center in upstate New York and I was working with a demographic that did not have access to a lot of resources and I worked with them doing a nutrition workshop, cooking every week, and being able to share with them my love for food and knowledge that I have learned from my undergrad about resilience and about even nutrition advice, although I couldn't provide so straight-up nutrition advice. I'm not qualified enough, but guiding them through finding different options that will provide them sustenance and allow them to experience commensality and sharing meals and eating together and all those joys that promote so many positive things in people's life. It's just, it was nonetheless of amazing and humbling and uh, I would do anything to go back right now. But when talking about access of resources and morality of food, you really have to take a step back and recognize what environments are other people living in Are they food deserts? Are they close to a grocery store? Do they only have dollar stores? I know upstate New York, especially, and other rural areas throughout the United States, Dollar General is a big thing. Um, Family Dollar, I learned a lot about those different stores and companies and the comparison to Walmart, how I think it is Dollar Tree is located closer to them, to like compete with them. Whereas Dollar General and Family Tree are for rural settings where there's not a grocery store, there's not easy access to get to these places, especially in these areas where people may not drive. They may not have the ability to drive. They may have other circumstances that don't allow them to drive. Or that is public transportation. There may be a bus system, but how far does that go? Are they able to carry all the items back to their apartment? Everything like that. And even if they're not an apartment or a house, where are they living? Can they store the food somewhere? So all these are um, different aspects of this that people don't often look at. So the next point I want to go into is socioeconomic status. What's their financial situation like? Can you go to Whole Foods and buy all these organic, which I'll do another episode on organic, don't you worry, but... Are they able to go and get this produce that people seem, people deem to be miracle foods? Are they able to get vegetables and be able to preserve them when they get back to wherever they're residing? Are they able to get the most expensive and the least processed, quote unquote, and least refined grains? Are they even able to get grain? What foods are they going to prioritize in order to make sure they keep their stomachs full as well as their family's stomachs full so this also goes down to education level how much education do the mass population have on nutrition have they been exposed to different courses in their schooling system or have they not been able to go to school and the level of education they have can also impact the food choices they make So baseline health is another aspect of access to resources. Many people don't have medical facilities near them, nor do they have the ability to go to them. Um, Not every job offers benefits. Not everybody has health insurance that will cover regular doctor's visits. And having a baseline health record to resort back to is the utmost privilege. And I think recognizing this privilege and being able to have empathy for people who don't have the same resources is so vital rather than just judging them as good or bad and making them feel less than or more than based on their resources. So I think that it's a really, really, really important aspect to look at and recognize and be very, very aware of. So another aspect of putting moral value on food is the creation of guilt and shame. I have found personally as well is that if you create a fear around food, you're going to have a restrictive mentality. You're going to be fearful of this food that isn't at its, like, small. like, I don't even know how to describe it, but the food itself is not the issue it is your mindset about the food and how you go about whether deciding to consume it or stay away from it for whatever your reasoning is which many people have reasonings people have allergies people have autoimmune disorders people have sensitivities to food and i'm not here to say that you should eat them if you have these issues absolutely not if you know how you react and you know it's not the best idea for you, and you don't feel your best consuming it, then that's a whole different segment. Um, and that's for you, again, back to the autonomy aspect for you to decide. I'm not here to judge. Food is a universal thing, and everybody will experience it in a different way. With that being said, I do wholeheartedly believe that most people can benefit by replacing these emotionally heavy words with more neutral language for example instead of calling a food good or bad or pointing out things that could potentially happen by overconsuming them that people focus on what is this food doing for them and i think a good way to look at food is to view it as fuel also attached to that statement that it is giving me something, whether that is enjoyment, whether that is nostalgia, whether that is energy, calories, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, even at the smallest amount, everything you consume is going to give you something and your body will use it. Your people have had this sense that or idea that their body is out to get them and for some reason it is going to do the exact opposite of what they want it to do when in reality your body is the one thing that is always going to try to keep an eye out for you and do what it can to keep you alive. I remind myself just as much that the person that... I know the best is me and my body will tell me if I need to eat something. My body can recognize and get cues of different foods that it is lacking or needs more of if I am not consuming them in a large amount, whether that is vitamins or water, you feel dehydrated and you know you need water, stuff like that, if your body shows you cues Acknowledging it and honoring it is probably one of the most important things. So adding on to that and to my next point is cultivating an awareness around food and their impacts about how you feel. Again, recognizing your body cues and honoring your hunger and honoring your fullness as well, which is another aspect of the intuitive eating approach, which I will cover in upcoming episodes. But... In terms of nutrition, replacing the judgment of foods you have with more neutral statements and recognizing what a food can do for you rather than against you is key. Some foods may be convenient. Some foods may be fast or easy. And understanding that not everybody has the same lifestyle or time in their day to prepare a fresh meal. Some people are in a rush, some people have a lot on their plate or working multiple jobs or just don't have the experience in cooking and they find more convenient foods such as frozen, canned, pre-made, eating out to be what works for them and We are in no place to judge other people for these decisions because we aren't them and we do not know what their life is like. The last point I wanted to touch on today is about questioning and challenging your food judgment and your beliefs about good versus bad foods. I think one of the most underutilized resources is evidence-based research and educating yourself on nutrition and even the basics. I know that a lot of people, most people do not have a lot of nutritional knowledge and a lot of it is based on fear-mongering or what they see on social media or just word of mouth through society. And people have these beliefs that certain foods are poison, quote unquote, or these are bad for us or you have to avoid these at all costs, but they're not backed up by any scientific evidence. So I think even doing the most basic Google search of reliable websites and peer-reviewed articles that talk about just the basic fundamentals of nutrition or a macro breakdown, such as your carbs, fats, proteins, why are each of these important? Which ones provide more energy? Which provide less energy? Which ones tend to have more... Of these vitamins for these vitamins. I think that it is such a valuable topic to really dive into. And not saying everybody has to go out and become a dietitian because that's not going to happen. <laughs> but I think just being aware of different types of foods and the benefits that they can offer your body is the perfect place to start when exploring the world of food morality and placing blame on different foods and labeling them as good or bad. So this wraps up episode two of The Balancing Act. I hope you guys took something out of this episode and learned something new about food judgment and placing moral value on food. There is more to come on this topic as well as related topics. I really hope you guys enjoyed. Bye!